The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Past Yet Present. I'm Marilyn Kapp, spiritual medium and author of Love is Greater Than Pain. Those who passed share our need for love, understanding, and resolution. Together, we go from communication to collaboration. Welcome to Past Yet Present. Today, we have a really exciting guest. Eamon Hamid is here and... um, Wow, it's a pretty long story about how we met, but he has been instrumental in, well, my learning about healing and expanding, and um, if you read Love is Greater Than Pain, he is the uncle of Alan, who is the guy who came up with Love is Greater Than Pain. Well, he's been, we'll let him explain, but I have to say that life has been expanded and joyful. And Alan is right here to say he's very excited about his uncle talking. He comes in and talks to him all the time, and I know Eamon feels him. And like Alan's mom, his life expanded so much and is still expanding always, like all of us, with everything that went on with Alan's learning curve about wanting to know everything there was to know about transition, which really was all there is to know about life and and while you're here. And here's Eamon. Hello, dear Merlin and the good listeners. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the wonderful and generous uh, introduction. And hello, Alan. I know, I'm sorry. I have to include you in the <laughs> context of saying hellos. It's really an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to this. And I mostly love the fact that we haven't scripted this. So what comes is what it is. Uh, Let's get to it. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Alan Alan says, don't talk about me. I want you to talk about Uncle Eamon. What happened with Alan is he was 31 years old, diagnosed with um, stage 4 liver cancer. He was told he would just have a few months. And he embarked on a path of healing um, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? There, there were so many layers to this about his wanting to learn more, his expansiveness, just getting down to basics and it being all about love. And, well, that's really... That's what it is. That's yes. what it uh, is. Alan and family, my sister's family, they came to U.S. a few years behind, before uh, the passing And obviously, uh, throughout the years, uh, what had happened, because we are a family of immigrants, I had come earlier, and then my sister and family had Alan and his wonderful sister. 
And then there was a separation, and some years later, they immigrated to the United States as well. And when they came, they were really little kids, eight and ten years, if my memory serves me right. So we had the opportunity of spending some time and really establishing a good relationship as uncle, nephew, uncle, niece, so on and so forth. Alan was uh, quite interested in some of the work that uh, I was doing at the time, which was engineering and computers. So as he grew up and got to the age of graduating from high school and pursuing uh, university, uh, he joined me and he uh, did some work in that area and started leading, uh, learning those skills. As he did, uh, life, uh, which was not easy, you know, it was the, uh, it, it took some learning as it does for anybody, software engineering, so far, so far, and so forth. Uh, as he did, he was actually uh, on top of his journey. He had landed a good job, he was traveling for work, so he was doing pretty well. And um, the disease or the challenge hit him when he was on top of his life, if you will. Once it surfaced, uh, it didn't um, seem that serious. It seemed like a regular, normal disease, and then things progressed, and he ended up moving to San Diego. And once he moved to San Diego, uh, I got to be a little more involved in the journey. He used to live in Los Angeles. He was in Europe, then he was in Los Angeles, then he was back to San Diego. And I apologize to all the listeners if this is too not very clear. Uh, I'm trying not to give too much detail to take away uh, from the message. The gist of it is uh, once he was in San Diego and started the journey of dealing with the disease, it was so unknown and strange and uh, unpleasant that nobody knew how to deal with it, including Alan, myself, his mom, his sister, so on and so forth. And um, as you may imagine, cancer is not an easy thing to um, take in as an input and process and uh, deal with. It brings a lot of challenges. So in a way, the disease forced all of us to really drop everything, go back to the beginning, and start the process of, yeah, I'm going to say it, start the process of having to be 100% present with what's happening on that moment. There was no guarantee there would be another moment or another day. As different family members, um, including all the whole family, took different roles, and as Alan started his treatment, among one of the services that I could provide was uh, chauffeuring Alan to and from his uh, chemotherapy sessions. And uh, when he was a kid, he had called me a chauffeur and a servant as a joke a few times, which I had come down on him like, how dare you talk to your uncle this way? <laughs> so this was Universe's way of saying, hey, see, it's, it's not that bad. You get to chauffeur him back and forth. 
And uh, the highlight, uh, you know, going to chemo is definitely a challenge, and it's not a... I point. know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know. I know you know. I know. <laughs> it's not a different, it's not a very um, pleasant experience. So what he suggested, and I loved and wholeheartedly follow, is this tradition that he started having burritos after chemo session. <laughs> So we would go to chemo, and then the next stop would be this one particular place, which I forget the name, in Rancho Bernardo in uh, California, San Diego, California, that we had to go to that place, and he had to get the one that he liked <laughs> and uh, uh, go from there. All in all, and I know I'm making uh, light of it, and I'm simplifying it, um, the reason I'm doing that and I'm getting some confirmation from Amir is that, yes, life does get difficult. When it gets difficult and when it gets beyond uh, acceptable, maybe a good strategy is to simplify things. Maybe um, a good process could be to slow down, breathe, take steps to see what we can do for that particular moment as if the next moment may not be present. Would you like to join the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, Alan wants to say, and he wants to clarify that um, Alan is his English name, Amir is his born name, so we'll be going back and forth. So we hope you're not too confused. Um, so we refer to him as Alan, but also as Amir. And one of, one of my favorite all-time pictures that I've ever seen is um, Eamon and Amir. He's at chemo, and um, his hair's gone. I, I remember I, I rocked that look, too. And, um, but Eamon shaved his head, and Amir, Amir is holding on to the pole with the, with the drip going in. Yes. With the biggest smiles, you know, I have goosebumps. Yeah, he's he's saying that was one of his favorite moments. That's why he wanted to bring, bring that up, and you could feel it just looking at the picture. You could feel the love, the camaraderie, but you could also feel the joy. And Alan is saying that when you talk about the simplicity, it is so very important because everything changed. Everything changes, and I've had some experiences that are you know nothing like what. Alan went through, I mean, you go through what you go through, but when you hear something like that, when you get that kind of news, everything stops. I mean, nobody can say anything, nobody can give you a present, nobody can say, oh, it's okay. It's between you and God and your family, and, you know, everything changes. And it seems like it would be so complicated and, and navigating, and of course that is, but it all comes down to the heart and the gut, he's saying. It all comes down Alan says, to who you love and who you want to be with. And you realize you're walking on the earth, he says, and you realize it's a gift. And the idea that we're not going to be doing that forever did not, uh, <laughs> he just started to laugh. Because he said, did not cross his, you know, his sweet little mind, big mind, because at that age you're expanding and you're going and you're learning and you're doing and you're accomplishing and then it feels as if to him, the news was something that, first of all, it wasn't like denial, but it's like, how do you fold your hand? He refused to. He refused to, but he'd shifted it. So for him, it felt like a punch in the stomach. 
but his heart, he says, he felt it got bigger because he realized all of a sudden he came and when he came back to his mom's and he's with you and he's going through treatment, he says he would just sit and stare at everybody because those are the things you wouldn't do otherwise. Taking moments and it wasn't even, he says, that I was thinking, I'm not going to be here. He didn't think of that for a while. I mean, immediately, yes, but then he let that go for a while. But, and then he thought of as he got, as, as he was cert, he decided he was going to get better and he worked towards that. And then when his heart realized, well, we don't know what's going to be happening, he just decided, look, you're going to go at some point, make it your responsibility, what's important to you. And he said, it felt like, um, he's trying to come up with an analogy, but scales falling off. Think just like he says, you guys come up with an analogy, <laughs> but, but if you have, you know, just everything falling away to the core and that's what you got. And if you want to say something, you better say it. And if you want to feel something, you want to share it. And then something happens where the people you love it felt to me they were stripped down just like me. Yeah, my uncle shaved his head. Yeah, he did that. That's stripped down. And it, and it represents. But they were stripped down. They still had to figure out how to pay the bills and how to put one foot in front of the other and buy the food and take care of things. And my sister came and she was there. But it all came down to they became incredibly present I know I like to be important, but I became the priority in terms of availability for what I needed. But just, it, I, I want, it's a simple thing, but it sounds like it's not higher vibration. You would think with all the fear, oh yeah, you go into that shaking, but then once in a while you take a breath and you realize you're collaborating with God. You're talking to God all the time. And I feel successful in that I collaborated with God. God did, I milk it, I did, I did, I milked it. And he's getting emotional. And he says, I don't think I could have loved this man, Eamon, my mother, all so fiercely, so much, and recognized what I'm capable of. And I didn't lose my sense of presence all the way through. And I think it's so easy for that to happen to somebody because it seems to me, and I'm out here with all these, that, you know, I'm helping people who, kids, young people who go out of body and their families don't have that reciprocity of understanding that we're with them. So I help them because it's heartbreaking, you know? All they want to do is help heal us. And it feels as if when you, you know, it's, when you're in this position, those you love and who are around you have to figure out all the practical stuff and all the earthly stuff. And then I realize, and what I've learned from the people out here who did not have the same situation exactly that I had, was that heart-wise, they were so busy doing it that heart-wise they couldn't be present, and also it's so scary. I think it's human nature. I'm going to put this out there, he says, and I, I think we should talk about it, that when somebody hears something that, oh, maybe they're not going to be okay, the mind jumps to that place. Oh, we have to get ready for that. Um, I, something popped into my head, and when I channel, I can access everything. Um, I remember being in the room with um, an older relative, and 
he's, he's fully conscious and getting ready to go. And his kid said, well, I'm going to go get the house ready for, you know, when the people come after. It was so not, and, and it, it's human. It's human. We tend to do that because the mind wants to protect us. And even if you did that, like we say in every episode, it's never too late. You can talk to them right now. But what Alan is saying is that they kind of bypassed that. And he had a team that was figuring out and helping him with the medical stuff, obviously. But it always felt as if, I think when you get news like that, you really want to look in the mirror and figure out who you are pretty darn fast. And my mirrors, my uncles and my mom and my sister. And it changed anything now. You, dear uncle, you tell everyone how you did that because it wasn't, it's about who you are. You can know everything in the world and you could be trained for it or not trained for it, but it's who you are and it's presence. You spoke about, uh, or Alan spoke about, one of you guys. That was all Alan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an analogy. And um, as I was listening to you, um, the thought of a car accident came across. And let me explain what I, where I'm going with that. I'm in my car. and I'm driving, well, supposedly legally 65, but nobody does that anyway. So 75, 80, 90, whatever it is that we're driving at. And something happens and an accident approaches you or an accident happens. There is this capability in our body and in our defensive system, which is called, and everybody, most people are familiar with it, which is fight or flight. So the desire to survive and get out of that accident in one piece kicks in and you start steering the car and it's not conscious it's not something that you think about you start making moves to really get yourself out of that situation the accident proceeds and one way or the other maybe even if you get banged up uh, you end up stopping the car once the car is stopped, then the body stops, starts shaking like crazy. So what happens is that we are, by nature, biologically designed to take steps to help ourselves experience and process what life throws at us. Now, that physical process, I came up, I uh, talked about that analogy because um, as if you have experienced that, you can relate to it. That same thing happens in non-materialistic or non-tangible, I'm sorry, not materialistic, non-tangible situation. In Amir's case, when the cancer came and when it hit him with all the news that were associated with the cancer, which was something that you're not going to survive from physically, which is pretty hard. And he was on top of his world. And it was, I believe he was in his early 30s. So going from way up there down to you don't have much time, it's that car accident that's approaching. We did a lot of things that we did like trying to survive the incident and why we 
primarily Amir, and after Amir, the mom and the sister, my sister, I'm sorry, my sister and my uh, niece, Amir's sister, and uh, myself, my brother, grandma, whoever, anybody, everybody, uh, sister-in-law, you know, the whole family. I don't want to name everybody yes, one at a time. Yes. Everybody was there and everybody had pulled together. The very first challenge was, we don't know what to do. So yes, we have pulled together. And the reason I'm talking about this, this relates very much like end-of-life planning. I don't know if your good uh, listeners are aware of this. There is a set of help and assistance and uh, career, if you will, which is called doulaship. Doulaship is, uh, most people know about birth doulas. Birth doulas, the most common name is midwives. Mm -hmm. Those are the people who help the mothers-to-be go through the process of giving birth. There are also death doulas. Death doulas help a person go through the process of dying. So a lot of conversation around death doulaship or end-of-life planning is about what do we do? Well, it's very simple. The preparation for dying doesn't start at a particular age or phase or uh, some experience. The preparation for dying starts this moment, this second, because this second that I'm sitting here and talking to you and enjoying this conversation is the very beginning of the end of my life. So whatever I'm handling here, whatever I'm doing there in this moment is part of that process. Why am I talking about this? The reason I'm talking about this is the more we slow down, remember the car accident example, the more we slow down, the more we spend time to be present, to take the time to observe and be what is, the more we are preparing for coming for what's coming next. And we don't know what's coming next. At that moment, we didn't know uh, Alan. I almost called him Amir again. Uh, I, we didn't know at that moment. <laughs> he mo- loves both. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. He gave the heat. Uh, we didn't know Alan was going to go. Obviously, the hope was that he's not going to go. He's oh, going to survive. It, right? And... All of the collection of all these things brought us to the situation where primarily Alan was able to manage his own death absolutely perfectly. I share a little side note here. Uh, My father had passed uh, at the age of 75-ish many moons ago, and uh, I really looked up to my father. When he passed, one of something that made me happy was uh, what he had accomplished and how he had processed his death. Alan did whatever my father did, but not in 75 years. He did it in 33. So he himself was a teacher. Oh, yes, I agree. Right? How do you learn about teaching or dying? Experience. Experience. <laughs> Experience. He wants to share something. He is so happy with this conversation. I, you know, you know. Um, as soon as you started talking, I got a shot of energy shooting out of my right foot, which means getting off on the right foot. 
Oh. <laughs> he, he decided that he was going to keep on living no matter what. In mm -hmm. other words, even with the transition, and he would go back and forth. He fought it tooth and nail, and he didn't, he says, believe me, I wasn't in this place all the time. Sometimes my gut was shaky, and sometimes my throat, would, you know, all those things. We're physical beings. But I decided, I, I mean, I decided that I was going to be watching all the way through without interruption. And do you know I did? What did you do? I stayed present for the whole thing. Mm. Dula, dear. <laughs> mm. He's laughing. Mm -hmm. Uncle Dula. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I was smiling, wasn't I? Yes, he was. I had my big you-know-what eating grin on my face. And it wasn't because, look, we all wanted me to stay here, so did I. Um, but the thing is... It's possible to do this. I, I guess I can, you know, we forget. We forget. We come in body and we forget. When people are born, hopefully there's a good team meeting them and getting ready and receiving. Yes. Going out of body, my grandpa you were talking about, he was there. Mm -hmm. My dog Wolfie was there. You know mm -hmm. that. Everyone's there. And it's, he wants me to, he's just pointed at me, Meryl, and he wants me to point out, usually if somebody is getting ready to go out of body, unless there is a reason that is helpful, unless divine consciousness feels that it would be helpful for us to know that information, it, it won't come through. But if it does come through, the images, you see the relatives from out there, who are already out there, flicking a big white tablecloth out towards us, they're preparing. It wasn't that he knew of those things or thought of those things. But, um, oh yeah, we, he, he experimented. We can talk more about that. And I think I've talked about it before. He we would experiment with going out of body and coming back in. But what helped me the most, he says, we're all grieving because it isn't going to be, and it's a punch in the gut and your heart hurts, it isn't going to be what we expected. I have to say... I think that in the months, it was over a year, they said it would last a few months, and it was, you know, about 15 or so. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> Uncle Dula, you are exactly right. <laughs> I think we packed in. I think I, I don't want to overstate. It isn't that I grew wise, but I grew present to the point that transition felt like a big smile. And it was not that big a vibrational shift. Nothing hurt. Nothing was, you know. But I just felt all loved up. And you can talk more about that, about that process. And yes, I had a big smile on my face. And no, you, there's no wiping that off. Because for a time, and you know this, um, the last couple of days, the last couple of days that I was in body, I was drinking in the love from in-body and from out-of-body, and it was divine. And so when I finally allowed the breath to go to the energetic breath that would carry me home, it was like there was no transition. And I hope and pray, and my uncle can talk more about this, that it eased it for them because, you know, Marilyn likes to talk about the vibrational discrepancy. And yeah, I'm not in the physical. That's a pretty heavy-duty thing. Yeah, yeah. But 
my dreams, my hopes, my love, my this, my want, my... I have all that. The thing is that the presence... See, here's where I grew lucky, Uncle Dula Deer. <laughs> With you and my mom and my other uncle, my sister, I wasn't fighting against unconsciousness. Yes. I was not. And that makes me want to cry because not everyone has that. Everyone does underneath the layer of fear and forgetfulness. Everybody has what you were able to reflect to me and give me as support, but not everyone can. And I want to say from my end, when I talk about my decision that I'm going to learn all the way through what I'm going to do, yeah, that's really good. And you can stay in that a lot of the time, and sometimes you just can't. And I assume for everyone who's helping, my stomach is churning. He just like poked, poked me in the stomach. He says, you can be present with me and in the glory of the divine consciousness and expansion. And I know my mother went in the other room and doubled over. And I know you went and walked around. And I know I can track and I don't need to for each of you. How your stomach contracted and then right above the chest and then, you know, it, and you take a breath. We're all growing together through this. And it was a divine conspiracy. It was a divine collaboration. But here's where you can really help my friends out here and my friends here, here and there and everywhere. Here, there, and everywhere. Oh, my mom's favorite song. Um, that was me saying that, Mary. <laughs> I'll talk about that another day. Poor lady heard it a billion times before she finally got to go out of body. I think that's why she left. At any rate, that's another day. The thing is, what he would like to hear, the simplicity and sweetness when you go underneath the brain and the conditioning to the truth. Because when you get words like that and you get a diagnosis, like we said, you're stripped down. And it's all heart. How did you do it? <laughs> he wants to know well, because you are he's showing a halo over your head I mean Harry and I everyone knows Harry you know, Harry and I um, we're very blessed to be involved and to be there quite often and I would watch I don't even have words I would watch this family so I'll start to cry too so Uncle Dula speaking, do tell speaking of uh the experiences and emotions, uh, forgive me if my voice starts shaking, it's just simply, uh, uh, as I say that, it starts shaking. It's just simply the love and emotion coming up, and it's okay for me to express it. I've learned that throughout the years. It's oh, taken yes. me a lot of fights, but, you know, I've finally given in, and I allow myself to shake. And We this, all do now. <laughs> and this really... Yeah. Uh, segues to uh, what we're going to talk about next. Uh, Amir has called me Uncle Dula a few times. Um, what that is about is that having to face this process a few times for family, that first, Amir, and then my mom, which was in 2021, uh, a couple of years ago, and by the way, each and every one of them were quite uh, exemplary on how they processed their own uh, transition and end of life. And it was quite teaching. 
And then after that, uh, having worked with some other uh, good people, um, I think I'm in teens right now. I think I've helped uh, about 11, no, I'm not in teens yet, 11 people face transition and death and go through the experience directly. The whole process for an outsider, like a doula or like a person who's providing services, is quite an educational process, is quite a humbling process. So what does that mean? Uh, some of these conversations become really complicated and complex. So I have a tendency to simplify things, go to the bird's eye view from 10,000 feet and look at it from there, dive in, figure out what I need to figure out, come back out, catch my breath and just rinse and repeat for as long as I'm enjoying it. So number one element and number one factor in answering the question that how I did it is practicing love and joy, as weird as that sounds, okay? You have heard, we get on the planes and they give the emergency instructions and the oxygen mask comes up and it's like when you wanna help, put your own oxygen mask on first and then help somebody else. That is not really that wise, it's just common sense. If you don't put your own oxygen mask on first, not only you can't help somebody else, somebody's gonna come and help you. So simple is good, beautiful is simple, right? <laughs> I always thought I would fail that miserably and run around and drop, but you know what, that's right, then you have to get somebody else to help. No. So, thank you, I didn't think of it that so way. simple is really thank good. Thank you. So, yeah. In the process of putting your own oxygen mask on first, how do you go about that in an emergency, in an urgent situation where uh, at the moment it appears all hell is breaking loose? You're losing a loved one. It's hard. It's uh, unknown. It's scary. All of that. The answer is you slow down. You give yourself time to breathe. You give yourself time to be present. Let me share this with you. There were many occasions that I got in my car and I drove to Alan's home with the specific purpose of going to help and do something. I wasn't sure what, but I was just going to help. And as I got to the door and I knocked on the door and I rang the bell, um, I got the response of, who is it? And I said, Uncle Eamon. And he responded with, not now, Uncle. And I was like, at first, it was kind of distraughting. It was like, what do you mean not now? Then I slowed down and I thought, well, wait a minute. If he's saying not now, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with wow. him doing something. Yes that he maybe doesn't want me to see. Here is a 33-year-old guy who has worked all of the 33 years to be proud, to be strong, to be capable. And life has dealt him a hand that he's weak and he can't do things and he needs help. Why would he want anybody to see that, including 
close people or not so close people. So it was like, okay, I'm going to be in the car for half an hour. If you change your mind, just text me. And then after that, as I got to the car, my own uh, sadness or ego or whatever name you want to use would raise up. Like, wait a minute, I just came here to help and he's saying no and blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, Iman, why did you come? Oh, I came to help. Okay, listen to yourself. Is he asking for help? No. So what can you do? Just sit here because you said you're going to be here for half an hour. And half an hour on the hour, if he hadn't called, I would leave. I made it a practice of being present and listening and getting my own set of desires and wishes and personalities and so forth out of the way. Wow. Guess what death doulas or birth doulas or or people who are in service need to do. You go to a restaurant, the waitress or the waiter comes over and goes, what can I get you? They don't go, you should have french fries right now, or (laughs) order a hamburger. The question is, what can I get you? Service is not about us. Service is about serving. Ego is about us. And ego is not a bad thing, listeners. Ego is what makes us have self-confidence. Ego is what makes us drive. So there are limits. It's like the whole freaking life is relative. There is no black and white. You know, there are two extremes. And depending on situation, we got to find where we can sit on that spectrum and serve the best way. But in order to serve the best, you have to make sure you are intact. If I'm limping, if I'm not breathing, if I don't have my oxygen mask on, I cannot help anybody. So how do you do it? How did I do it? I really don't know at the time. It all came naturally, just by heart. Uh, But if I want to put labels on it now, was I practiced getting myself out of the way. Now, I'm not recommending to anybody to go find somebody who's experiencing death and try to get out of their way. That's a little, (laughs) you know, shortcuts don't exist. What you see on the internet, the five best things you can do to become overnight millionaire, it's just a show. It's just marketing, guys. You know, (laughs) life throws you and brings you what you need to know in bits and pieces. And as we slow down, as we clarify our intentions, then we figure things out. They help us. They meaning angels, God, universe, anything that you believe in. I don't believe in anything. Great. Do you believe in you? Do you believe in your children? Do you believe... Do you believe in nature? Nature. Nature is the obvious. Anything. You know, Uh like, labels don't matter. What matters is learning about yourself 
which really comes through trouble and challenge and, you know. Yes, it does. <laughs> the most surprising ways and accepting what you learn, even though it may not be pleasant. Did I always speak like this? No. There were times that I would be shouting and screaming. My background is engineering and software and logic, and I do it, and I'm an immigrant. Immigrants are fighters. They uproot themselves from one other country, and they replant themselves in another country. So I was quite different. And based on need, I learned to, if I may say so, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Sit down, breathe, and provide value where I can. And move on where I cannot provide value. Alan, our sweet Amir, is right here and he says, he says, well, I need to backtrack. He says, you know. Marilyn usually interrupts when she channels something because she's afraid she won't get it back. And I kept looking at her and saying, I'll get it, I'll get it. Because what you said, yes, he says yes and yes. He says, first of all, it was hard for me to say not to come in. He just looked at me and he's like poking at me, me, Marilyn. We, we, chemo, it makes a mess of your innards. And you yes. become kind of like blech. You know, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I didn't want, you know, it's like somebody, I'm checking on you. It's like, you know, it's like, okay. He wanted me to do that to make it visceral. Thank you, Amir. Um, but he wants to tell you something. He says, do you know what it meant to me? I'll be in the car for a half hour. Do you know what that meant to me? Tell me. It was everything. Because you heard me. You heard me. My stomach was really, really, when those things happened, Usually my stomach was upset. Once or twice I was crying. And um, I tried not to have people see it, but sometimes I did. But once in a while I needed to just crying, like throwing up crying. I, I You know when your nose runs and you get all like... Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's making my nose run. He said, you know what? I, once I was really torn because I wanted to let you in and have you hold me and I just couldn't do it because I didn't want to put it on you. We're all trying to do the things with our hearts. So you're talking about, you know, the, the reaction could have been, what, I came down here? And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, Amir, he came down here and he loves you. How can you... And then I would force myself to breathe. And do you know what happened? I'm going to tell you what really happened. And I understand it now more being out of body. And when you said, did I talk that way before? No, but I do now. I learned how to talk that way. And one thing Marilyn talks about when she channels, when she channels somebody who really was not in the market of expanding in that direction, and then they're out of body and they learn all the cool, you know what? Um, he says, I'm keeping it clean for the podcast. <laughs> uh, all that cool stuff. Um, he, he just stopped. Yeah, what's going on is it was unknown. Ah, it's now it's my turn to cry. Uh, it was unknown to him. As we drove yeah. uh, from home to chemo, the sequence of events were uh, we would go to the place. Uh, he always made sure to come and uh, 
accompany me with the parking. He didn't want me to drop him off at the door because, you know, like it was a sign of uh, weakness and he was not going to be weak about this. So we would park the car, go up to the place where the chemo was taking place and he would go under the process. He would always crack jokes, so on and so forth. And uh, the chemo would start. The chemo would last uh, half an hour, 45 minutes an hour, something like that, for as long as it was uh, going on, depending on the treatment uh, that was uh, necessary at the time. What Amir didn't know at that time, and uh, I, I did that preparation, was that as he would go through that process, I would excuse myself and I would leave the office and I would go and process my own weakness and crying and feeling if I needed to do that. Because just like he didn't want me to see his weakness, yes. I didn't want him to see my weakness. So it makes what he's sharing today makes perfect sense. Yes. It was just a perfect dance of who we are, what we are, and the reason I'm sharing that is the number one step to improving anything in our lives is awareness. If I'm aware, if I recognize and if I commit or if I, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the word, uh, admit that this one particular area is my weakness versus this other area, which is my strength, that's where I can put my focus and that's where the healing in the weaknesses start. If I may uh, plug a healing pack, which is an organization, yes, which is in uh, yes. the process of, which is, the sole purpose of Healing Pack is to teach self and distance healing through love, joy, peace, and compassion. My good brother Amin has been involved in it uh, forever, and many years ago he asked me to start the organization, the nonprofit, get it going, so on and so forth, and we did. And I believe that whole experience was really a huge part of preparing us to deal with Amir's challenges. And then after Amir with helping other people. So a lot of the things that Healing Pack taught us were the elements of what we needed to do to be able to process the information of getting to know ourselves, admitting the weaknesses, accepting the challenges, and still taking steps to do better. Remember the car accident analogy. A lot of stuff that comes, you know, like, why did this guy hit me? What's going on? I'm going to go this way. I'm going... But you're not doing it consciously. You're just doing it reactively. It's similar to that, but in a much more grand universal life scale. I correlate it to that because that makes sense to me. I hope it does to you too, good listeners. If not, blame Marilyn for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because Amir is pointing out 
we have to include ourselves in the equation. It's like putting on yes. the mask. And you hear the mask thing all the time. But when somebody is going through something, um, we tend to put or want to put all our attention on them, whether they are needing it or not at that moment. And I feel like, well, of course they are, you know. But we have to include ourselves in the equation. And if we take care of our, if we stay calm, if we stay, or it isn't about being anything. You don't have to be anything. Oh, I'm just getting old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amir, come here. <laughs> just be present. It's about inclusion. Yes. He says that he didn't go on this journey by himself, even though he was the one that was going out of body at that particular time. The thing is, we've journeyed in and out of body, and because we're in body, we tend to forget. And one thing we talk about pretty often is just because we're wearing our body doesn't make us any less. We know the ropes. We know about coming in. We know about going out. But it's so horribly scary when it's someone you love, and all you can think about, he's saying, is them not being in your line of vision. For me, I wanted to learn how to be in the line of vision and stay there, mm -hmm. even if it's in another form. And that really helped me. But it's like, oh, Uncle Dula, do you remember the time I went to a group of us? We were doing, um, we were doing a meditation, a healing every week, you know, for a yes. while. We were playing, and one time, sometimes he'd be sleeping, and sometimes he'd join us. One time he called in, and we we're all doing our thing, and he's at Disneyland with his girlfriend. And he's like, hey, this is, you know, he was having a blast. Yes. And being in the moment and not. You know, it's interesting because the whole idea, you know, I remember when I would read books and, you know, the classics as a kid, if somebody in the book, a major character passed, I thought, well, that's over. And it's like, no, now <laughs> I know that that's not true at all. That's a learned thing here. Soul family, we transition in and out. That's what we do. It's like the waves crashing. That's how we do it. But I knew with all my heart, my relationship with my loved ones was not going to end. And the gift they gave me was that even, even if they didn't feel it, and I think they did, I think maybe they faked it till they nicked it, and I know that was grammatically <laughs> not correct, he says. I don't think they did that. But I wouldn't tell people to do that, but if you really stop and let yourself feel and go down into the vibrancy of your soul and underneath the fear and all the stuff that, like you said, you had to go out and cry sometimes too, and I did too. I think it's easier when you're inside yourself. Yes, I know. He just looked at me because I've said this too. Um, when you're going through something like that, you're inside yourself and you're kind of taking stock. And I decided to stay present even if I'm sleeping, even if I'm, I, d I ask God for that. Let me not lose my vision, my sight, my, you know. And we all worked on that with him. And it wasn't work, it was joy. So it's really about the simplicity, not trying to figure out what to work on, just being. What was your point, Amir? <laughs> Let me pose this question, if I may. Yes. Speaking of a point, there are many phrases that we hear. Stay present. What does that mean? Thank you. Oh, you're asking him. <laughs> or you. I thought or... you were going to say. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go after you guys because okay. I think what's coming is much more. I learned, I'm really glad you brought up the coming over and I didn't let you in. 
because it took a while for me to face my vulnerability, mm -hmm. be integrated with it, and then not give a flying you-know-what. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and me, Marilyn, I saw that at play sometimes. We mm -hmm. were out once, you know, for dinner, um, his mom and Harry and uh, Amir and I, and um, his mom needed to stop and pick up some of his drugs, and he's like, take me home. And she said, but then I have to go out and I have to go way further away. And he's like, you have to take me home. And she did it. Mm -hmm. Because he says he wouldn't ask unless he was really going to like. Yes. And he says, and, and the whole thing is about being present and not having a preconceived idea. And I feel like even with the fear, and we all had it, we we're all rolling together with presence and direction and intention. And my intention was, Um, may I say what I said in my blog? Um, she, he said, Marilyn doesn't like this word and she doesn't use it because she thinks it's sexist. <laughs> and he said it sing song and I just repeated it just like he said. And he said he had, um, I love you Billy Rubin because Billy Rubin is one of the things you measure. We all live by the numbers when yes. you have a cancer diagnosis. And, um, he, and, and one of his phrases was, life's a bitch, but love that bitch. Exactly. Love, love, love. And many people did not have the advantage I have, had at that time and still have. I chose consciousness, but I had a family that was choosing it with me and basically holding the lantern in front of my eyes when I could only see darkness. You know you did that. Yeah. And so we had a shared intention. And I think the intention, none of us know. You know, you could say we're all spiritual beings and underneath our bodies, blah, blah, blah. And he's saying, but you know what? We're pretty effing scared. And it's horrible. It's, you know, you look at somebody, especially younger, and you hug them, and it's like, I'm not going to let go, and that way you can't go anywhere. What do you do with that? We're not equipped for that. We're not, people go through it. How do you learn to stay present? He says, is by not being present, and then your mouth gets weird and, and you don't and then dry and your stomach hurts and, and, and you could shove it in your body and well that's not the you know it's learning how to deal with the vulnerability. And I realized in my case that my family was doing it with me. Yes. The ones who could not do it did not come or came for a quick hello goodbye. Yes. You know about that. And I was not pleased, but you know what? Some people, they can't do that. It is about them. And that's, that's okay. In the same way that you learned, Uncle Dula, not to take it personally, when I didn't let you in, it wasn't because I didn't let you in. You were in, in my heart, in my everything. So I learned to say what I need because within the context of it, if I don't need you at that moment, it doesn't mean I don't need, need, need you with all my heart before and after my transition. And I think giving each other space for that back and forth was really big for us. Yes. And learning how. Learning how. And I'm going to tell you again. I felt you in the car. I know. And sometimes when I was crying, it turned to joy. Yes. Because I felt you. And isn't that everything? Isn't that everything? And I think it's a very, very important thing when you want to help somebody. It, it can't be about... It has to be... You bring everything you have to the table. 
but then you're setting a new table for each person. Absolutely. And when you roll with that, that's when we can do it. And I understand with the kids and 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 older kids I'm working with out here, they're different from me. Their situation is different, but they're hungry for what I experienced, and that's being on the same page in the terror and the fear. But then also, oh God, how we did laugh. Yes. How we did cry, how we did how we did whatever we needed to do. At the time, yes, absolutely. And we did whatever it was, and it was all part of it. And what I had to let go of was if it was sad and we had a moment, was that bad quality? No, it was release. No. And no, if we no. laughed and it was good, was that good? Yeah, of course it was good. Was it fake? No. But when you're in it, oh my goodness, he says, so much falls away that doesn't matter. And then the expansion happens of what does and who with and the purity of it. The purity of it. And thank you. Remember you asked me, how do you do it? Thank you, Alan, for explaining how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I brought up the comment. I didn't know why I brought up that particular comment about the door and knocking. I think it it's was very not, important. It was not about... Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to make this clarification, not for Alan, not for myself, not for you guys, but for the listeners who may not be uh, as comfort, comfortable with the subject. That whole experience was the start of universe and Alan training me in who and what I am today. So I had to go through that experience and then I had to learn that with love, like you're talking about in the book, you can take on what appears to be impossible or unreasonable or nonsense, you know. I didn't think this way and live and play this way when I was in my 20s and 30s and earlier in life. It took a lot of necessity and steps and training and pain, if you will, to open the doors to being present. So when life happens, and you can replace life with another four-letter word, it's not always to our disadvantage or because something or somebody is being mean to us. A lot of times it's a learning opportunity. I'm going to share this with you, which is not very related. I have joined the group and we all appear, uh, appear to have the same purpose. And some of the members of the group, um, they have challenges with their ego. So as a result, not too long ago, a week ago, they were trying to bully and micromanage me. And the last time and the first time, the first time and the last time I was bullied and micromanaged, I was 16 years of age. <laughs> so as it happened, I was just cracking up. I was laughing. We were all in a Zoom meeting and I didn't, you know, I turned the camera off and I put myself on mute. And... It was just hilarious. I wasn't laughing at them. I was laughing at the concept and the fact that 
how I would have processed and reacted to that some time ago oh, versus today. That's big. How beautiful to feel it, to notice it. To notice it, exactly. And, and have that consciousness. And what did I do? I uh, managed to shut my mouth, not say anything, you know, like laughter or attack back, blah, 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 whatever. And I wrapped up the meeting, and then I asked myself, Iman, why did you join this group? Oh, I joined them to do good in this particular regard. I don't want to get into too much details. Okay, now, if this is the behavior, how can you play with it? How can you react to it? I don't have to go on the attack. All I have to do is to take away the privilege of dealing with Iman or reduce it. Now, that may sound quite egotistical, but it's not. It's the opposite. When I come, like Marilyn invited me to come and join this podcast, if I bring my best foot forward, if it's good enough, great, success, let's celebrate, let's go to happy hours. If my best foot forward is not good enough, so be it. I've done my best. And you know what? Whatever it is, is what we need. That's what we need. That's all That's I can right. offer. Right? So, where am I going with all of this? We are talking life. We are talking afterlife. The process of enjoying life and a good afterlife or whatever that's coming, which we don't know what it is, it all starts at this moment. Yes. Oh, but this moment has to be your, your voice was shaking, so we got to edit it. Well, you know, I am a human. I am allowed to have feelings. Yes, I act tough. Yes, I'm a go-getter. Yes, I'm... Uh, uh, a fighter, a warrior, blah, 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 all of that. But at the end of the day, I'm a person. I have emotions. I have a heart. I'm allowed to be a human. When I accept that, when I set my personal boundaries on that basis, not boundaries for other people. You cannot talk about this. No, you can talk about it. I don't have to answer. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Oh, what if they get physical? Well, there are laws against that. <laughs> so there are many tools that you can use. There are many solutions with Amir. We did our best. Amir taught me. He became, he started as my nephew and he left as my teacher. He was still my nephew, but he left as my teacher. My dad, he started as my father, and he left as my teacher. My mom, she started as my mother, and she left as my teacher. Now, here's the kicker. As I'm helping people cross, and as I go through the very last stages, and the step, and the breath, and so on and so forth, I find myself crying at times. It's, I was, it blew my mind away. I never expected that. It is not because I'm so great. No, I'm quite nasty when I want to be nasty, you know. The process, the learning, the being present, it just teaches you to be yourself. 
Amir is saying the maturity is about allowing authenticity. Thank you. He says, yes. Please edit all of that, replace it with that one sentence. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that was the exclamation point. That was wonderful. Thank you. Eamon, thank you so, so, so much. And Alan slash Amir. And um, we've gone pretty long, but Eamon is generous and kind enough to stay on. And we're going to continue our conversation. And uh, thank you, Eamon. And we'll continue with Past Yet Present. Bye for now. Thank you for sharing this energy in space. Together, we collaborate, raising the vibration for all. I'm Marilyn Cap, author of Love is Greater Than Pain, and you can find me at marilyncapp.com. Remember, the healing continues with those who are past yet present. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.